The Your Mark on the World show is made possible by our sponsors, including Clean Energy Advisors. Welcome to Your Mark on the World, bringing you another changemaker with champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Mark on the World show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. I'm a Forbes contributor covering social entrepreneurship and impact investing, and our guest today is Mara Bolas. She's a, a senior advisor at Oxfam. Mara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have an opportunity to talk to you. Uh, not only does Oxfam do impact investing, but you're also active in the community uh, as uh, an expert and as an observer. And so you have some really interesting insights that you recently put together in a discussion paper for Oxfam. And I'm interested in talking through some of those key insights. Absolutely. I think fundamentally, uh, your thesis is that we must be looking at impact investing with an impact-first mentality. Isn't that at least uh, at the highest possible level a summary of your observations? I think um, just to put a slight spin on that is to say I think impact is a pretty uh, diluted term at this point. So I would say a view to poverty alleviation, poverty eradication, Um, that that should be our sort of organizing principle. Yeah, I think that's a a great insight. And I think a lot of impact investors in the early days uh, observed that. Mm -hmm. Uh, As you point out in your paper, a a lot of the early participants in impact investing uh, were philanthropists, Mm -hmm. uh, rich individuals, some foundations that were making uh, program-related investments. And so those early days, it was driven by a a philanthropic model. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think you pointed out that uh, some 85% or so of investors today are looking for fully risk-adjusted market rate returns. Mm -hmm. Can you get fully risk-adjusted market rate returns and have impact? So I think I would answer it this way. I am all for socially responsible investing. I am all for ESG investing. I wish that that was the norm, Um, that and only that was the norm. That said, I don't think that's impact investing. Um, And as we go further to blurring the lines between these three areas of work and and, um, and, um, um, pots of money, um, I think we constrain um, the field of available, available resources for the entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs, and um, other um, really socially-minded businesses that have, that have poverty alleviation in their DNA, we, we limit the resources for those institutions. Um, and I think we're starting in the wrong place. I think that so many, as the field goes mainstream, the focus has really been on meeting the needs of the investors and what the investors require, rather than starting with the focus on the problem that we're focused on, 
uh, a diagnosis of the constraints around that problem, and then building up from there, right? Building a financial product that then is built off of that analysis rather than starting with, rather than starting point being what is the rate of return that's gonna be required to attract investors? We're starting in the wrong place. Yeah, interesting observation. Now, it's, as I think about uh, the world today, and as I think about poverty alleviation, one of the concerns I have is the disproportionate effect that climate change seems to be having on poor countries, poor communities around the world, they, where they don't have the resources to, to build a barrier to the you know, a $10 billion gate like uh, they're doing in um, Florence uh, or uh, in Italy. Anyway, but when people are doing um, environmentally friendly projects, especially climate change oriented projects like renewable energy, they're putting up uh, windmills and they're putting up uh, solar farms. Um, should they get a pass on their impact that those projects have on local communities that may be directly affected? It's such an interesting question. Um, and I couldn't agree with you more that the disproportionate negative impact of climate change is suffered by the people with the fewest resources um, to, uh, ab to absorb um, those negative impacts. So um, I absolutely agree. Uh, that said, um, I, I absolutely believe that there should not be a pass. Um, for me, impact investing is very focused on the intentionality and the business processes that happen both at the enterprise level as well as at the fund level. So what I want to, what I want to see more of are, is a new economy, a new human economy that's built around addressing those needs and using business as a vehicle and then investment to behave differently in order to support such, um, such enterprises. Um, to me, this is, this is a different um, area of work and it's one which impact investing should be focusing. Um, I think that there are obviously huge positive um, externalities of the work around solar panels in the United States of America. But do I see that as immediately positive, uh, positive in terms of a poverty alleviation um, mandate? No, I see it as a positive externality, just like a cell phone tower, just like a hotel project that can employ people. Unless I see a change thesis that links to an improvement for people living in poverty, other marginalized populations, I don't personally see it in the bucket as fitting within impact investing. How does a project in the developing world, and I'm sure there are a lot of projects like this, right, where they're uh, relatively small utility scale solar projects going in all across the continent of Africa and across India uh, and other places in the developing world where you see one to five megawatt projects going in to feed power onto the grid. Uh, those seem to me to be the projects where there is the most potential for them to do both good and harm. What are you seeing? Are, have you observed anything in that specific area? I, I don't know if I'll be able to talk that specifically to, to yes, I have observed some things, but just I think it's getting, it gets me to a point that I'd like to raise in the circumstance is, again, that 
this is really about, for, for me, it's really about a design question, right? And how are we starting? So the extent to which impact investing is developing itself around the needs of the social enterprises and the benefits and the risks of people living in, in poverty and how, and extrapolating from there to come up with funds and financial products that best mitigate, um, that best serve kind of that core principle, right? Um, by which it is to say, I think at this point, it's assumed that projects like those are inherently beneficial because I don't think that we're doing that upfront work to do the really um, important diagnostic analysis of the problem and of the stakeholders who are involved in the problem um, to really understand the full impact of that work. Um, and, and I don't think that exactly as you point out, I don't think that, um, you know, a project such as you described should be concerned, should be considered inherently positive. We haven't looked beyond the surface enough, and it's because we're not doing enough of an investigation at that um, enterprise level and at that, um, at that stakeholder level of people who are supposedly benefiting. Um, so I guess it's a call for more research, um, more independent research in particular, looking at what are the needs, what are the constraints, what are the risks at the enterprise level and at the stakeholder level, and then building up from there in terms of how can impact investing best serve that population. Yeah. Now, Oxfam itself does some impact investing. Can you describe a little bit about what investments uh, or what process Oxfam is using and, and the lessons that you take away from that? Well, I'm very glad you asked that because I think this is illustrative of the point that I've been making. Um, the work that I do at Oxfam, I'm global lead on a fund called Women in Small Enterprise. And the fund itself is funded by impact investors. There's philanthropic capital that helps um, with training, um, with the training component and some operational expenses. But what predated the funds was a deep analysis into understanding women's economic marginalization in Central and Latin America, right? So before the fund was set up, what we did was we did a research process that involved both a myriad stakeholders, both field builders in the impact investing and SME development space, um, academics. We had roundtables with women entrepreneurs in Central and Latin America. We worked with, um, with um, NGOs and other sort of supporting organizations in the field in order to understand what were the main constraints that they were facing, right? Where were their priorities, right? Then we took from there and we started to, what one of the things that we found was that um, you may or may not know this, but access to collateral for women, um, access to loans for women entrepreneurs is hindered by the collateral requirements that they're asked to put up, right? Mm -hmm. And there is a gender lens to this. Often women are asked to put up more collateral, women-run businesses are asked to put up more collateral than their male counterparts. In fact, in Guatemala, where we launched, Women were asked, women are report, report having to put up almost twice the collateral requirement as their male counterparts, right? This in a country where women own 13% of the land, okay? Yeah. So you start with that diagnosis of the problem, and then you build an impact investing fund that addresses that problem. So what our impact investing fund does, it's a loan guarantee facility. 
we work with a women-run, we work with a local financial institution, which has launched, according to them, the first women-run business, women-run small business lending product that's teamed with a training component in Guatemala. So not micro, but small, small business. Mm -hmm. um, and we reduce the collateral requirement that women have to put up in order to become eligible for the loans by 50%, right? Fantastic. So you build up from there, and then what you, when, then when you find when you're looking at the financial modeling is the revenues that are made through the guarantee fees are able, are modeled out as at basically as capital preservation at the end of the tenure, of the fund's tenure life, okay? Sure. But we didn't start with, this is the this is the interest rate that we're this is the um, this is the rate of return that we can promise to our investors. Let's go figure out you know what we can grub up that meets that rate of return. It started with a diagnosis from the problem and input from the entrepreneurs, and then built up from there. I see. I see. And and is it working? <laughs> uh, it's taken some twists and turns, um, and at this point. We are doing very nicely. Um, we have developed, as I said, this partnership with a um, cooperative savings and loan institution in Guatemala. Um, we're making loans that average around $17,000, which for women-run small businesses in rural Guatemala is a sizable loan. It is certainly not microfinance. Um, at this point, we're up to, I believe, 29 loans, again, with an average um, of around $17,000. And they're longer rates than they would otherwise be able longer loan terms. So we're looking at um, one to four year loans that are being issued for um, capital, for working capital, for equipment, et cetera, for women to really take their businesses to the next level. And, and it's really dependent upon the buy-in of the, of the financial institution, which has helped co-create. And in fact, Oxfam is not visible in the process. It is all in entirely marketed and led by the local financial institution. What kind of rates of return are you getting? So that will be calculated at the end of the fund's 10-year life, but at this point we haven't had any losses. So well, that's good. So in theory, you should have a good positive return if you're not having experiencing much in the way of losses. That's right. I mean, at this point, what the modeling works out at is basically as long as the um, default rate stays below um, the, the returns that are generated from both the deposit interest that we get in terms of holding the deposit in Guatemala and the um, guarantee fees that we earn off of our percentage um, of the guarantee coverage, um, then we should be in good shape. But you can see that's a very different type of an investor-investee dynamic. Yes. And I one that I'd like to get to in terms of your initial points around philanthropic capital. You know, for so long, what we had at our disposable, what I, we had as our disposable disposal to make change and to alleviate poverty was a, a money that was just one-way money, right? It was money out. It was a grant. Right. Um, you could get a tax deduction if you were in the U.S., but it was um, it, it was it was pretty um, pure vanilla. At this point, we have m incredible heterogeneity, both of types of instruments as well as types of 
enterprises and businesses that can create social good. Um, and with, by virtue of the entrance of more mainstream actors, um, rather than interrogating and building and, and, um, and supporting that heterogeneity, there's a real fear that the entire space will get hijacked um, and pulled into more conventional investing, just as so much important, rich work is happening at the space that's between kind of return of capital and low single-digit returns. Um, and so I think there are outside ex outsized expectations at this point, which could constrain basically access to that area, but also um, I think really limit the impact of these billions of dollars that's going into impact investing on the poverty alleviation mandate. Yeah. Well, we've just got a few minutes left. Let me ask you just a couple of personal questions to help understand you a little bit better. So I admire you. I, I know countless other people do as well, but who do you look up to as a role model? Um, so this is going to um, possibly sound a little cheesy, but who I look up to as a role model is, and who inspires me um, are really the women entrepreneurs that we work with in Guatemala because I know that I, am, as a working mom um, with a demanding career and demanding family life, I know how hard it is um, to manage the balance of work pressures and family pressures. And then I go to Guatemala and I meet with a woman entrepreneur who runs, she runs a driving school um, in Guatemala. And she takes a day out of her week in order to serve in her community, um, helping to run a cooperative daycare center for um, impoverished women in her community. Um, and she does this while running a, a sizable small business. And it's women who have broken through the norms and the expectations that have been set of them um, to demonstrate that they're able to do something that no one expects them to do. In fact, they often get questioned for trying to do. And then not only that, but give back to their communities. I fundamentally believe that women are natural, natural social entrepreneurs. That is just what I believe. Um, and I think, in fact, putting more of a gender, so it's, the, it's these women who I've met through my work at Oxfam um, who have broken through the expectations um, in order to prove themselves. The fact that they get questioned and they're asked to put up twice the collateral requirements of their male counterparts, it's so stifling of their um, abilities and their creative and their creativity. Um, I'm just inspired by them. Uh, all the time. No, I, I certainly appreciate that. You are a bright, uh, extraordinarily capable person. You could be doing anything. Why have you devoted yourself to Oxfam and, and your career in impact and international development? I think, um, I think it goes back to this appreciation and respect and awe, really, of the capabilities of people who are um, who are undervalued and um, societally, 
Um, and we at Oxfam have a privileged position of being having an opportunity to have an interview with you of of speaking in different fora. Um, and I see myself as a lucky conduit um, to bring kind of the voices and the experiences of women such as the ones that we've supported in Guatemala to these rarefied um, spaces so that they can be better better served and um, get the respect that they that they deserve. Um, and that's really what drives me um, is is the passion for um, to to act in service of, of um, and in respect of their capabilities. That's fantastic. Well, um, I'm so grateful that you would take the time to be with us today. One last question, though. Uh, what is your superpower? <laughs> um, well, I can fly. <laughs> Good. No, I haven't achieved flight yet. But, um, but I think my superpower is, um, is my passion um, and my enthusiasm, which um, um, I, it, it gives me a courage that I sometimes didn't realize that, or earlier in my life, I didn't realize that I had. Um, and um, so bringing, and um, it, I think that that allows, that allows me to speak out um, in ways that maybe other people feel like they would be held back to calling out some of these um, failings that I see, um, and I do it because I think it comes from kind of the core mission of Oxfam in terms of righting the wrong um, that has so ignited my passion for this work and in this field. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate that and uh, am inspired by the great things that you're doing. Uh, before you go, tell us how people can uh, find your, your discussion paper, uh, learn more about impact investing through Oxfam and how they can connect with you personally? Um, so the discussion paper is on the Oxfam America website um, and it is called Impact Investing, Who Are We Serving? Um, and there is also a blog that I wrote to accompany it, which is on Next Billion um, and it's called In the Rush to the Mainstream, Who Are We Leaving Behind? Um, and in terms of how to contact me, um, my email address is mbolus at oxfamamerica.org. Um, and, and I can also provide more information about the different areas of work that we do in impact investing across the different affiliates, Oxfam affiliates. I just gave the example of, of the initiative that I've been most intimately involved in, but we have various um, initiatives that really go to this core that I've been trying to emphasize in terms of starting at that enterprise level and that um, stakeholder level and working up for there in terms of trying to direct appropriate capital to where it's needed most. Fantastic. Well, Mara, thank you so much for being with us today. We wish you every success in the great work that you're doing. Thank you. All righty. Let's do some good. Clean Energy Advisors creates investment opportunities in the renewable energy sector that provide clients with a predictable income, preservation of capital, and positive impact. 
Clean Energy Advisors is committed to providing clients with investment opportunities with both market rates of return and measurable impact. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded via Google Hangouts on Air and is available at youtube.com forward slash Devonthorpe. Subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher or iTunes by searching for Your Mark on the World. Every weekday, Devon hosts a CEO, celebrity, entrepreneur or other changemaker here on the Your Mark on the World show to inspire and prepare you to make your mark. Devin is a champion of social good, writing about, advocating for, and advising people who are doing good. He is a Forbes contributor who is a recognized thought leader in social entrepreneurship, impact investing, and crowdfunding. To book Devin as a speaker, visit devinthorpe.com. Learn more about Devin's work at yourmarkontheworld.com.